Psalm 150. Praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty acts, praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet, praise him with the lute and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance, praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise him with loud cymbals, praise him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, this psalm is a very fitting close to not only to the uh, psalms of praise at the end of the book of Psalms, but is a fitting close to the whole book of Psalms itself. That book is called the book of praises, and certainly these last psalms and this one, perhaps more than any of the others, focuses our attention particularly on praise. Notice that the word praise occurs in every line of the psalm. Thirteen lines, thirteen times we have the word praise, and in every line except one, that word praise is the first word of the line. It's only in verse 6 that the order alters. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. It's a psalm of praise. It's a psalm of exuberant and exultant praise. And the most fitting title for that psalm, the psalm is certainly Praise the Lord. Now we're going to notice four things about that uh, praise of the Lord. First of all, uh, we are told where we should praise him. In verse 1, we are told for what we should praise him. In verse 2, we are told with what we should praise him. In verses 3 to 5, and we are told who should praise him in verse 6. So we begin with where we should praise him. And there is a twofold answer to that question given us in verse 1. Praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty firmament. His sanctuary is, of course, his temple or his tabernacle, that house which he built for himself on earth so that he could have a residence among men and could call his chosen people to live with him in that residence. Praise him first, therefore, in his sanctuary, praise him, in New Testament terms, in his church. But we are also to praise him in his mighty firmament. And of course, we read first about the firmament in Genesis chapter 1, and we have reference to it several times there in that chapter. We find that on the second day of creation, the second day of the existence of the world, that God created the firmament. And that this firmament divided the waters beneath the firmament from the waters above the firmament. And that God called this firmament heaven. And we read about it again 
in uh, a little bit later in the chapter when we find that God uh, created the lights, the sun, moon, and the stars, and set them in the firmament to give light by day and by night. And one more time in that same chapter where we read that God created the birds to fly across the face of the firmament. Now I think that this teaches us what is meant by this idea of firmament. God called it heaven. But he called it heaven not in the sense of the uh, spiritual heavens, the heaven where the angels dwell, but this is what we might call the earthly heavens, that uh, part of the heavens where the sun, moon, and the stars are that uh, we see. That's the heaven we're talking about. That is what the firmament is. And uh, what we have then in these first in this first verse is uh, a call to praise God to the farthest extent of his earthly creation. This is not like uh, Psalm 148 in that it calls upon the angels and the heavenly creatures to praise God in the heavens and in the heaven of heavens. This is a psalm that limits its scope to the earthly creation, to the heavens that belong to the earthly creation. And, but it, the firmament is referred to because it is to the farthest extent of that earthly creation that the psalm folk, uh, calls our attention and calls upon us to praise him in the whole of his earthly creation and then also in the center of that earthly creation, in his sanctuary, that place where God dwells, that place that he makes holy by his presence, that church of the Lord Jesus Christ, which stands at the center of God's purposes, at the center of God's work, and even, we might say, at the center of God's creation, God's earthly creation. Praise him in his sanctuary. Praise him also in his mighty firmament. Praise him then because that firmament is the revelation of his great power. And that carries us over then a little bit into the second part of the psalm where we are called to praise him for certain things. And again, there are two things we are commanded to praise him for his mighty acts, and his excellent greatness. Included in his mighty acts are, I think, all his works. Without exception. All his works are mighty works. His work of creation in the beginning, in the six days when he fashioned all the creatures that belong to heaven and earth. That's a mighty work of God. His work of providence, by which he sustains and governs all his creation. That is another mighty work of God. And we may distinguish in that mighty work three different kinds of works that God does. He does, first of all, what we would call, might call his ordinary works of providence. These are such works as the uh, rising and setting of the sun, the 
uh, sustaining of the sparrows and the knowing when a sparrow falls from the sky, the counting of the hairs on your head, the fashioning of man and the days of man from before the foundation of the world, as Psalm 139 says, these ordinary works of God, they are not really ordinary, of course, they are mighty and great works and praiseworthy works, but we call them ordinary to distinguish them then from what we might call his extraordinary works of providence. Works of providence that do not occur on a regular basis and that are to us um, often very unexpected. You might include in this category, for example, hurricanes or healings from what seem to be terminal illnesses. Works that do not go uh, contrary to the laws that God has built in the creation, but that we don't expect, that we can say are extraordinary works of his providence. And then there are those miraculous works of God in which he intervenes in the normal operation of his creation, disrupts the laws of his creation, and does things which cannot be done according to the laws of the creation. Things like changing water to wine, casting out demons, um, raising the dead, and uh, dividing the sea and the Jordan River. All these miraculous works of God. Those are also included. All of these different works of God are included here. Praise him for his mighty acts. Included in those mighty acts are also his work of salvation, the incarnation and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and the regeneration and sanctification of sinners, the justifying of sinners by the death of Christ. These are miraculous works of God. Included also are his works of judgment, both those judgments that we see around us on every side and those jud- that great judgment which is coming at the end of time. All of his acts are mighty acts. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him then for what he does. In the second half of that verse, however, praise him for what he is. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Or we might even translate, praise him according to the abundance of his greatness. Praise him according to the immeasurability of his greatness. Praise him according to that incomprehensible majesty and glory that he reveals in his works. But praise him for what he is in himself. And notice that we have the preposition there, not for, praise him for his excellent greatness, but praise him according to his excellent greatness. That is, let your praises measure up to the greatness of his being. And that's, of course, impossible. Our praises are very poor in uh, relation to, in comparison with his greatness, the abundance of his greatness. It can never measure up, but the scriptures always call us to seek to praise him according to his merit, according to his worth to exalt him to the greatest extent of our ability. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. So those are the things for which we are to praise him, for his works and for 
that greatness which belongs to his own being. In the next three verses, we are commanded to praise him according or using various instruments. The passage focuses especially on musical instruments with the one exception of dance. And here we have quite a long list, don't we, of means of praise, we might say. And it is worth our while, I think, to take a look at each of those different instruments that is mentioned here in this list. We have, first of all, the trumpets. Praise him with the sound or with the blast of the trumpet. Now, Israel had available to her two different kinds of trumpets. There was, first of all, the silver trumpet. And God commanded Moses in Numbers chapter 10 to make two of these silver trumpets and to give them to the priests. The priests then used these trumpets to summon the people to assemblies, to direct the movements of the camp, to tell the people when they were to begin marching again on their journey through the wilderness, or when they were to cease marching and set up camp. These trumpets were sounded over the sacrifices also. So these were the use of these trumpets was limited to the priests. These were trumpets that belonged to the priests. And there's a very interesting uh, thing that we can notice about these trumpets in connection with the uh, movement of the ark to the city of Jerusalem by David. You can find this in 1 Chronicles 13 and 1 Chronicles 15. We know that when David first tried to bring the ark back to Jerusalem, he did not do things according to the proper order. He put the ark on a cart instead of having the priests carry it, and God was angry with him because of that. But it's very interesting that also in connection with that first attempt to bring the ark back, you read about David and all Israel playing these silver trumpets. But when you go over to 1 Chronicles 15, when David did things according to the proper order, you find that the priests used these silver trumpets. So apparently there were other things that David did not do according to the proper order in that first attempt to bring the ark back to the city of Jerusalem. And he had to change not just how the ark was carried, but all the celebrations that were going around on around that ark as it made its journey to the city. That's, that silver trumpet is not the trumpet that is referred to here in Psalm 150. The other kind of trumpet that we find referred to in the Old Testament scriptures is the ram's horn. You've probably heard the term shofar. That's the ram's horn. And it's uh, the horn made from the horn of a ram. And this trumpet was available to all the people of Israel. We find, for example, that Gideon and Ehud in the book of Judges used this kind of trumpet to summon the people 
to war against their enemies. In the prophecy of Ezekiel, Ezekiel talks about the watchman who is to warn the citizens of the city when an enemy is coming, and he is to sound this kind of trumpet, the shofar, in order to convey that warning. This kind of trumpet was used at the coronation of Solomon to announce that coronation, to make it as public as possible. And uh, we find this shofar used also in other celebrations. So it had the uh, various uses, the shofar, in the nation of Israel. And of course here the focus is on the idea of celebration. Praise him with the blast of the trumpet. Now, we should notice immediately that neither one of these trumpets was capable of modulation. You couldn't play different notes on them. They were just made one sound. That was all. And so they, you couldn't make uh, tunes with them. They were just to blast or to blow the trumpet. Praise him, however, with the ram's horn in your celebrations. The second um, instruments we read about are the lute and the harp, and these are stringed instruments, of course, and stringed instrument, instruments that were used to accompany song. Uh, the priests and the Levites in their choir and their singing of psalms in the temple used harps, and it's said, in fact, of the Levites, some of the Levites, that they prophesied on harps. But they were available also to other people of Israel on, a, on less formal occasions when they were singing the lute and the harp, instruments designed particularly to accompany singing. In the third place, we have the timbrel and dance. These two go together, kind of, as we saw last week in connection with Psalm 149. The dance was especially um, used on occasions of military victory outside of the worship of the temple, and the timbrel was a way of uh, uh, setting the rhythm for the dance and, and adding some music to the dance as the women celebrated these great military victories. Then we read about stringed instruments and flutes. No one quite knows what that stringed instrument in verse 4 is. Some think it's a particular kind of in, uh, stringed instrument, different from the lute and harp. Others think it's just the whole category of stringed instruments that was available to the people of Israel whatever was included in that category. We would translate, in that case, strings probably, praise him with strings. And flutes are uh, uh, wind instruments, recorder or pipe or, or flute or something of that sort. Um, we read about them first, actually, in Genesis chapter 4 of Jabel, who was the father of all those who play the trumpet and the flute. So we have all these different kinds of instruments, and then finally, the symbols in verse 5. 
loud cymbals and clashing cymbals. Again, there's some disagreement among commentators. Some think these are two kind, two different kinds of cymbals that were used. That's possible, but it's difficult to know whether that's the case. Some think it's just a reference to the sound. And these cymbals could also be used in uh, the singing. Sometimes the cymbal was played along with the lute and the harp, as we find in our own day as well, to make loud sounds. There is actually another word for symbols used in the scriptures as well in 1 Chronicles 13 and 15, again in connection with the moving of the ark. It's a different word for symbols than is found here. So you get all these different instruments. Basically, I think you can say all the different musical instruments plus dance that were available to Israel in that time. And were used in different settings as well. In the worship of God, the formal worship of God in the temple, but also outside of the temple on occasions of celebration, or even perhaps in the family worship or in times when a prophet was speaking, you would have some of these instruments used. One of the commentators speaks of these instruments as evoking Israel's history, all of Israel's celebratory life, and Israel's worship. And I think that's really the idea here. We're not meant by uh, this, uh, these references to the, these groups of these various instruments to think only of the formal worship of God in the church. We are praising him in his sanctuary, yes, but... We are also praising him in his mighty firmament. And because of that, all these different instruments, some of which were not used in the temple, are available to us. And of course, these instruments are um, celebratory in character. They call attention to the great joy of our song. We sing joyfully, and to enhance and regulate that joy, we use all these different uh, musical instruments. And then finally, in verse 6, we have, Who should praise the Lord? Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Now the word breath there is not the usual word for breath in the Old Testament, ruach, which can be translated as breath or wind or spirit. And when it means spirit, it can refer to the spirit of man or to the spirit of God. This is not a word which has that breadth of meaning. Breath is the only proper translation of the word that we find here. It's used in Genesis chapter 2, which talks about the creation of man, and it's said there, God breathed, that's ruach, into his nostrils, the breath, that's the word here, of life. And when we look at all the different references to that word breath, 
what we find, I think, is that it's really mostly, if not exclusively, limited to people. It does not refer, I think, to animals. It's a, a reference here then to people. Let everything that has breath, that is, let every living person in the whole of the earthly creation, in his sanctuary and in his mighty firmament, praise the Lord. It is, this psalm then is different from Psalm 148, and it's different from Psalm 148 in two ways. First of all, Psalm 148 talks about the heavenly creatures praising the Lord, the angels, and the sun and the moon and the stars and the heaven of heavens itself. All of them are to praise the Lord. This one is limited to earth. This psalm is limited to the earth, the earthly creation. And secondly, therefore, this psalm is different from Psalm 148 in that that one addresses the angels and even the saints in heaven, we might say, as well as those who are on earth, while this one is for those who are on earth. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And it's different also from Psalm 149, because Psalm 149 is a call to the saints. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. But this psalm calls on all men to praise the Lord, both believers and unbelievers. Let everything that has breath praise him. We might say, therefore, that this psalm is a missionary kind of psalm. We sing this psalm. We sing it in praise of our God. We call upon each other in this psalm to praise him in his sanctuary and in his mighty firmament, to praise him for his mighty acts and for his excellent greatness, to praise him with all these different instruments and the dance. But it's not just ourselves we call to that praise. We call all men to praise him. Let everything that has breath, let all men join us in this praise of God. And this psalm then points us to the truth that the work of missions that the church performs does not have as its goal simply the salvation of souls, the gathering of the elect, the establishment of God's kingdom, but has as its highest and ultimate goal the praise of the Lord. That's what we want. That's what we want to see, that everything that has breath praise the Lord. And thus, that everything that has breath fulfill the purpose for which God created it in the beginning. And we, creatures of the new creation, by the saving work of our Lord Jesus Christ, are the ones whom God has called to address this psalm to all those who have breath and to call upon them to join with us in the praise of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. That's the theme of the psalms 
That's the ultimate theme of the scriptures. That should be the theme of our lives. May God bless us with his word.